Welcome to OceanFit's Onshore Podcast, where Andre Slade, that's me, meets the unordinary people of the open water swimming and water safety community onshore to talk about their adventures, lifestyle, and passion for the offshore. In this episode, I met up with Cyril Bordock, OAM, a world record-breaking marathon swimmer and Bondi Surf Club life member. Sitting across from me right now is Cyril Bordock, OAM, uh, recently received the OAM for Services to Lifesaving, which is one of the topics that we're going to talk about today, along with Cyril's esteemed career in open water swimming and marathon swimming. I'm really excited to, to find out about the history of the sport, what it was like back in the day. So Cyril, let's go back there, back to the early days. Very kid, yeah. You're getting into swimming. How did that all? Yeah, kick well, off? I mean, it all just happened because we uh, we lived in Bondi, um, and um, and I didn't learn to swim till I was about eleven, which was completely unusual for Australians, or especially for um, anyone who lived around Bondi or on the coast. But um, we uh, we were immigrants. Not that that really mattered because we were here when I was just over two. But, um, yeah, I was just scared of the water. And, but uh, when I did eventually learn to swim, I just took to it. We had Bondi baths there and I just, just loved it and uh, loved improving and training. And um, obviously in Bondi Amateur Swimming Club, which at that stage we're, we're now talking about uh, mid-1950s, at that stage it was the strongest swimming club in the world. They actually held world records as a club. Um one in particular, the 4 by 200 yards or 220 yards or whatever it was, they actually held the world record as a club. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, we just built from there. And uh, the usual thing then was that anyone that could swim at all got uh, roped in, for want of a better word, to joining one of the two local surf clubs, either Bondi or North Bondi. I'm uh, pleased to say that um, I took up the Bondi option and uh, it just went from there. <laughs> Back then... The Bondi wasn't really a place that people went to swim in the in the ocean, did they? Because it was, and I mean, it's it's a relatively new thing to go swimming at Bondi. Yeah, well, no, um, competitive swimming, other than say surf life saving, like open water and, and you know, ocean swimming and open water races. That, that's that's fairly new. I mean, it's about yeah. Over forty years now, but um, but but it's 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 fairly new. But no, people did did come to Bondi to swim and yeah, you know, surf and play in the water and sunbake in the sand and that. And it was was very popular and crowded even in those days. But of course, it was a poor suburb. It was eight kilometres or in then five miles from the city. Um, not many people had cars. I mean, there was less than a million people in Sydney and. Um, the water quality was a bit. Yeah, well, the water quality—that's that—that's uh, that's true, Andre. But the the thing about it was, no one realised. No one realised until it was fixed. Well, not many people realised it was fixed. I mean, we just swam in it all the time, and you didn't. Uh, it just what it was was what it was, and um, and you, we probably became reasonably immune to it because we didn't get um, sick more than average. Um, but then, of course, when it was fixed, well different kettle of fish but that uh, that was many many years down the track and uh, 
Yeah, so I don't think I don't think people worried about the water quality because they didn't know about those things in those days. You know, environmental things and that sort of stuff. I mean, the harbour was filthy as well. I mean, it just uh, com- completely changed. But yeah, it's I guess um, I guess it's around about forty years ago when the first um, competitive ocean swim started, and the first one in Australia was the Coal Classic. And they'd only just started in other places in the world. I think the first one actually, which is, um, if it was run this year, which it won't be, would be its 51st year. That was the um, Waikiki Rough Water. That's where it pretty well all started. And that became uh, that became the swim section of the original Ironman course at Waikiki. And the Cold Classic now it's in Manly, and most people would think of it as Manly, but that's not where that started either. No, no, that, st- that started at North Bondo, and there's an interesting story there too, Andre. Um, it, it took um, it took the Cole family two years to convince North Bondo. They were associate members of North Bondo, and and they wanted to help out, and um, they saw this as a chance. They'd seen it happening starting to happen in places like Waikiki. And North Bondo weren't interested. I've actually seen all the correspondence between them and the uh, Cole family. It was two years before they um, they decided to give it a go. And of course, uh, the rest is pretty well history. Then then many years down the track, um, they had a falling out with the Cole, uh, with the, uh, Cole family and uh, without going too deeply into the history of it, um, that's when they moved to Manly. The rest is history with that. Yeah, but but in in that time, um, there was dozens and dozens of ocean swims started to develop pretty well in every state in Australia, except for Queensland. Not too many in Queensland because the clubs there don't need the money. They don't need to do that sort of work because they've got their uh, bars and licensed restaurants and poker machines and that, so they don't need to... um, you know, go to the trouble that it takes to run something like an ocean swim, which is a, a, a fairly big task with a lot of workers. And uh... Sydney's one of those cities that just has so many different beaches and bays that it just lends itself to having an exciting diff- ocean swim just in your, the yeah. next suburb, whereas the yeah. Gold Coast is just... Yeah. One long beach, isn't it? Really? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's exactly the same, and that's where the difference between um, you know, uh, courses that start and finish in the same place, and ones that you might call destination courses. Like one of the oldest is the Whale Beach to Palm Beach, the big swim. That's that's one of the best, and probably one of the hardest around here. Um, so it was the surf clubs. Uh, to start with, I uh, use them as fundraising. Yeah, and, um, and still in general in New South Wales it is. There's there's a few run by other people, but um, they're mainly surf club. And then we had, uh, you know, the commercial operators get involved and the sports kind of exploded since then, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and, and they've added things. There's, you know, there's, well, there's always been aquathons, but now they have um, have some on the beaches. There's, you know, there's one at Coogee, there's, um, yeah, there's, there's one at Cronulla, there's quite a few different ones and now sometimes they have beach run events with it and yeah how try many, to add to the day and, mm. how many of you gone and have you ticked a few of them off oh I, I doubt if there'd be one in Sydney I haven't done but many I've done many 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 times and do you have a favourite mm? uh 
Well, my favourite actually is the Waikiki, rough water. That, that's my favourite by far anywhere in the whole world. But um, but but probably um, I like the destination swims the best. Except sometimes you you need help because of the logistics. But the the, the Wild Beach to Palm Beach is great, and I also like the Jeringong one. That goes from the the boat harbour into um, Wherry Beach. That's 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 one that I really like. Uh, yeah, the Wedding Cake Island, Bondi Bronte. I mean, there's there's just uh, there's just so many there. What is it about the Waikiki swim that you like so much? Well, it's um, it's a difficult course. It's um, it's four kilometres, and um, you start at San Susie Beach. On the left hand side of um, Waikiki, I'm not sure. I think that that's probably. I think that's probably the south, but I'm not quite sure. But um, and you finish up at the Rainbow Hilton up the other end, and it's a difficult course. You've got to know, you've you've got to know where the rips and currents and things are in different tides to um to swim it properly. And it took me a few years of um trying different things and talking to people who are locals and that to to get to that stage. Good day, Kiora. I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about OceanFit. Back in 2009, OceanFit started as an ocean swim school on the golden sands of Bondi Beach. But now, we've become so much more. We deliver our world-leading training to hundreds of swimmers every summer on beaches throughout Australia, and thousands learn from our free educational resources online. Our Swim Scout directory, available on our website and app, will help you find a swim buddy, connect with social swimming groups, and discover swim events throughout the country. You can also participate in one of our events. Escape with us on a wet and wild weekend or immerse yourself on a boutique ocean swimming holiday at home or abroad. So what are you waiting for? Dive right in at oceanfit.com.au. Enjoy the rest of this episode and swim free. Is there a different culture between the, the ocean swim in Hawaii and the swims that we have here? No, not really at all. And I've swum in quite a lot in um, in um, California, but most of them are in um, rivers and lakes and um, dams in, in California because the water, the water in California, believe it or not, is pretty cold. And, um, yeah, so I've swum a lot of them. No, it's the same, same type of culture, yeah. Almost surf life saving type culture, but certainly sports people and yeah, enjoying a good time and um, keeping fit and having a go. Yeah, how would you define the the culture of ocean swimming, mm. and how would it have changed over the years? You think from forty years ago to to now? Uh, well, in, in general, the participation rate. I mean, yeah, as I mentioned to you earlier, um, there wouldn't be. I don't think there'd be. Hard. Half a dozen of us still swimming in ocean swims that actually swam in the first Cole Classic. Um, and it was probably only about 100, maybe 150 starters then. Um, it, it's it's become, it, it always started off very competitive because they were the competitive sort of surf lifesavers that started in it. But now it's opened up to um, all sorts of public, just like, just like fun runs. But it's, um, you know, it helps keep people fit and they, they, they set themselves programs and train for it, and there's plenty of uh, plenty of swim squads that uh, that that, um, that have squads that train for that sort of thing, and, and it's getting bigger and bigger. Ocean swims have almost become the new fun run, haven't they? 
Yeah, in a lot of ways, but you know, the fun runs have still developed and got bigger, like City to Surf just never never looks back. Um, and there's there's plenty of fun runs around and even now it developed into big crowds in marathons and half marathons. But of course that's happening happened in ocean swimming too. There's now uh, there's now longer swims that get big um big lists of competitors in them like um Bondi to Watson's Bay and Coogee to Mondai. Cold Classic Day often have a long swim as well. Um, it's definitely yeah. a, a growing area of the sport, the long distance. Yeah, yeah well, the, 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 long, the longer distance, not just the 2K ocean swim, that has become enormously um, bigger. I mean, I can go back to the first time I swam uh, long distance swims back in, um, back in the mid-'80s and there was nobody else. I became only the fifth Australian to swim the English Channel and um, did things like broke the record for 50 laps of Bondi and um, that sort of thing. It just wasn't done. You didn't have anyone to anyone to train with. Um, Was anyone else crazy enough to think about swimming across Bondi 50 times? Uh, well, I mean, not. I, I, there was a record for it. The, the, the famous Des Renford held the record, and I actually broke the record. But um, it, it's gone. It's gone past there now. Uh, many years later, and you've mentioned. John Van Weiss, his his um, sister um, Tammy, his sister Tammy, um, actually eventually after many many years and a lot of different ones trying, um, she actually um, broke my record by about six minutes. Um, but then it went on to Chloe McArdle, who's our best long distance swimmer probably at the moment. Um, she came here to try to take the record off. Of um, Tammy and me because I still held the male record and her the female record, and um, when she looked at the times and the and the distance, we set it at eight hundred meters, which is um, pretty well from the boat shed to just past Bondi Bars into the boot. So it's um, fifty eight hundred meter laps, um, whereas the beach is just about a kilometre long, but that's that's curved. Um, when when she had a look at it, she said, "Well, she said I can't." Back to break that time for 50 laps, she said, do you mind if I set a new record of 60? And we said, well, no, not at all, go for your life. And, and she was correct. She was about half an hour behind our times um, at the 50 that she went on to and now holds the 60. So who knows how crazy <laughs> they'll become eventually. Oh, there's always someone, there's always someone. <laughs> If we go back to the the eighties, then at the moment, uh, channel crossings seem to be extremely popular, and, and and almost anyone's doing it. But back then, no one was really doing it. How how did it even become on the radar for you? How did crossing the channel, swimming from yeah. England to France, even yeah, just well, pop up? Yeah, well, it's interesting. As I say, there's only been four Australians done at that stage, but at that stage, Des Renford um, had done it nineteen times out of nineteen. You know, the, the, the records for channel swimming at that stage, there was less than 200 people had done it and more than 2,000 attempts. No one knew how to do it properly. The the, um, the boats were captained by just fishermen in their off time. I mean, they knew the channel pretty well, but they didn't know much about swimming um, and they didn't have much modern technology where now it's mainly ex-Army and Navy people with all all the bells and whistles that you can find. But um, but then, yeah, so there was less than one in ten was making it. And Australians actually had, you know, well, Des 19 out of 19, Australia's record was well in the 90% of, of attempts. 
I was only the fifth to try it and the fifth to do it mm-hmm. of Australians. I mean, we, we had a we had a, a fantastic record then, but there weren't many people. In those days, they were just pretty well. The odd Australian, the odd American, um, uh, Egyptians, Englishmen and Des. That was about it. I mean, as I say, there was only, there'd only been 200 successful attempts and Des had done 19 of them. Um, yeah, now I, I'm... <laughs> I'm not really testing my memory to see how and why it, it caught on from there. People just started to swim a bit further and started to get interested in, in something like that, which obviously was the uh, and still is the Everest of swimming. Um, it's probably still the hardest, but now, now the boat captains and their boats and everything is so much, yeah, so much better, and you know. Um, they know they know the tides backwards with their eyes shut, and um, of course the, the training methods and the, and the training systems and the programs have become become so much better. And there's not that many pilots that are qualified. What so, is it about pilots? Because every time I talk to a channel crosser, they it's the pilots that comes first in all the all the conversation. Why is it so important to have a good pilot, and what do they do? Oh, they they they, they know they know. The um, the channel like the back of their hand like the the currents and the speeds of the currents are different tides and and that sort of thing and 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 the trick is between them your support crew and yourself is to work out in those sort of conditions what speed you can continuously go for because that makes a big difference the first thing they have to decide is the start time. Every different pace needs a different start time to get the ultimate, easiest swim possible for that swimmer. Even the best swimmer, you can't get across in less than two tide changes. So, um, and so the pilots they work with the swimmers quite closely to work out with the, with the swimmer and their support crew to try to work out. Yeah, and and obviously don't always get it right, but um, but they can adjust too. What they can't adjust is the start time. If they've if they've decided to start two hours later than they should have, because they think the swimmer's going to go faster, well, he's in awful trouble. Because mm. um, you'll just get you just get towed down to the South Sea or, or up to Holland, the coast of France. As you go north, that that runs away from you. You've got to finish on a tide going south. Otherwise, any average swimmer can't swim faster than the uh, land is going away from them. <laughs> so what makes the channel, the English Channel, hmm. the the Everest of open water swimming? Well, m- mainly that, the currents, the tide. I mean, that there, there's um, anywhere between 20 feet and 30 feet between high and low tide depending on whether it's a neap tide or, or a spring tide. And so that's not just um, that, that's not just all that water moving. It's all moving through a funnel because the, the two nearest points are 33 kilometres apart, but only a few kilometres north and south of there, they're 40-odd apart already. So it's, um, it's, it's, the, it's, it's that amount of water being sucked through a, yeah, through a small channel. And then you throw in the cold water, the time in the water. Well, well, there's, the there's grind, that, that, the boats. That, 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 there's the cold water. The fact that um, it, it's almost impossible 
to get the right tides to not have to swim some of it in the dark. Um, it's the busiest shipping lane in the world. Um, and you're right, it's cold. Here's Renford. He's an icon of swimming in Australia, but the, the generation now probably wouldn't know much about Dez other than he's got a swimming pool named after him. Yeah. What, what made him the king of the channel and, and what well, have you learned from him in your time? Well, well firstly, firstly, um, you know, he'd done 19 out of 19. He was king of the channel. I mean, no, no one no one had done that. They have since, but in that day and age, yeah. Um, he just never stopped. He was only a plotter. He wasn't a fast swimmer, but he just kept going. He never, ever failed. He just the old story. You just keep swimming until you hit the sand. Um, and um, yeah, and, and you're right about the fact that yeah, there's the pool, there's the pool and um, the whole fitness centre now named after him at Maroubra. Um, but the younger generation, except if they're sort of tied to surf clubs, etc., probably don't don't know. Um, people that do things like swim the channel have probably bought and read his book. Um, so yeah, but 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 a lot don't. No, no. Now, now you do interviews like this, and um, the person interviewing hasn't got a clue who Des Renford was because um, it's now just it's just over twenty years since he passed away. What could this generation of open water swimmers learn from Des? It just you know, it's very very motivational. The fact that he, he never gave in, he just one hundred percent could do what he set out to do, um, and 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 that's because he trained to do it, and uh, he just kept training. But look, so much changed since then. In in those days, I mean, I learned I learned a heap off him because he was the only Australian that knew anything about it. Um, but so much changed since then. You 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 you're training. The, yeah, the the, um, the training programs you don't need to put the amount of weight on that you used to used to have to put on that, that, that he recommended and that and um, um, so you learned yeah. you learned a lot of days in the in the time have you mentored other swimmers yeah 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 many many other swimmers I mentored um, young Ned Whelan who funny enough it's his birthday today but um, he uh, he became the youngest. Australians swim the channel, so yeah, I was the I was the oldest overall, but he was the youngest Australian. He was sixteen and nine days or something, and they don't allow anyone to go under sixteen anymore. There was there was a couple of fifteen year olds a long time ago, but that can't be repeated now because they don't allow it. So you swam your first one in the eighties, but uh, you've since yeah. been back. Yeah, eighty five, and then um, and then two thousand and fourteen, nearly thirty years apart. <laughs> and that was the challenge for the record of the oldest swimmer to become the oldest swimmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That actually goes back to Des too, because when I swam it and became only the fifth Australian in, um, in nineteen eighty five, hardly anyone knew this, but Des was Des was fifty eight then. And the oldest swimmer was um, the great coach, Dr. Um, Councilman from from the states, and he he was he was just turned sixty when he swam it, and Des was planning to go back in a couple of years' time and break that record to become the oldest and also make it his twentieth out of twenty. But um, he had health problems, he had a couple of bad heart attacks, and that was out of the question. So. Uh, 
I sort of said to Des, well, I know you'd like an Australian to become the oldest. So I said, when I get to that age, I will be. So how old were you when you? Well, at that stage, it was 60, but it just kept getting away from, you know, it just kept going up a year or two at a time. And, um, and then, of course, Des passed away. So that was sort of the end of that. But um, then, uh, then in 2011 or 12, um, an Englishman who just turned 70 swam it. And I thought, well, you know, I did say I wouldn't. I think I could. So I rang Des's son up. He didn't know the story. Yeah, young Michael, who's a channel, he had in the meantime had become a channel swimmer in his own right and um, we've done a few relays with him and things like that and we were good mates. And I told him the story and I said, look, I, I think I'll have a crack. And uh, in two years' time I'll be older than him and he said, well, if you do, I'll, I'll work with you and come with you. So off we went. <laughs> that must be a pretty special kind of almost completing the cycle of you know, with Des and then as yeah, well, it was. Son. It was, and and um, and then it was starting to become. Um, it was starting to become very popular. Then, um, what do you think of the the fact that it's got so popular and it's quite commercial now? And you know, every Tom, Dick, and Harry seems to be jumping in. That's has it yeah, lost yeah, any of yeah. its well, luster? Well, yes, it has a bit, but um, but yeah, you know, I mean, and I wouldn't have gone back a second time except to be the oldest. I wouldn't have gone a second time just to just to swim it again. You know, that's it's um, it, it, uh, it's the same as anything. It's it's fairly natural that, that people want to move to the next stage from whatever the whatever they've done and doing. And, and now there's there's squats dedicated to long distance swimming and, and it's so much crisis. easier because the, the main thing is that you've got people to train with now. I, I didn't have people to train with the first time. Second time, fantastic. I, I mean, I spent most of the time with um, Vlad's squad. You know, they, they swim at different venues, long distances every Saturday morning, anything from five to eight hours, you know, as well as uh, as well as the big pool sessions every day of the week. So, and you've got you, you've got company and plenty of people of all standards. So. I, I always think that it's the training that I couldn't do. I feel yeah. like the, the crossing would be, you know, I'd probably and, give that and, crack. And that's exactly how it is. A lot of people don't understand that. It's the training that's the boring part. Um, like everything's focused on you on the day, you know, the boat and support crew and captain and pilot and everything, and uh, it's not boring at all. That's, um, yeah, that's, that's exciting. It's the, uh, it's the training that's the boring part. And uh, the first time it was awfully boring because it was all done on your own. I think you mentioned different venues and places to train. Well, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, Manly Dam's one. It's not a very big venue. It's better off going to lakes like not Jindabyne or Lake Lyle out near Lithgow where, you know, they're big dams and you've got miles to swim around them. Um, but then I didn't, when I was on my own, um, I did a lot of, uh, a lot of training in Cloverley Bay. And obviously also Bondi. You had to do a fair few laps of Clove Valley. <laughs> well, it's it's um like at high tide, high tide it's two hundred meters to the breakwater from the beach. Mm, just going to do so, a thousand laps or something. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you, if you, yeah, like, uh, yeah, seventy or eighty laps is a is a pretty good workout. <laughs> So after the channel, uh, were there any other long-distance swims or locations that you dipped into? 
<laughs> no, it wasn't really. I mean, I was, I was always really only interested in the channel um, because it's, um, yeah, it's still believed to be the, the, the most iconic one. Anything else is sort of, yeah. Even the, uh, even, even the swims like um, Watson's Bay and Rottnest Island, I've only ever done them as relays or, um, or duos. And sometimes you, you swim and work a lot harder when they are like that because you're swimming in a team, whereas you don't just settle down to your own pace. But no, I, I haven't had much interest in any others. I mean, I've done the, the record for the 50 laps of Bondi and before I swam the channel, two weeks before I swam the channel the first time, I was lucky enough to be invited to swim in the British Long Distance Championship. And uh, that's in Lake Windermere and it's um, it's two laps of, laps of Lake Windermere, which is just about the same as the Channel 33K, but you go straight. So that was your warm-up? Well, yeah, it uh, was more than a warm-up. I had real bad shoulder problems. I was lucky to swim the channel after it, but um, but I actually won up and broke the British record at the age of 41, so that was that was pretty exciting. But that, that swam in the middle of the night and it's freezing cold, it really is cold, 10 degrees in the water and colder out. So that was that was a good training swim, but... Uh, Two weeks wasn't enough rest, but still, we got across. <laughs> so you're also a life member of Bondi Surf Bathers Surf Lifesaving Club. Yep, exactly. Back in back in the day, you in the sporting scene, it wasn't just swimming. You were a bit of an R and R. Man, yeah, no, bit. rescue and resuscitation R and R was my my main sport. Obviously, surf race swimming, belt race swimming, and um, and teams race swimming became part of it too. But R and R was the main thing because um, that that was and actually still is the um, the premiership event of surf life saving. It's a, for those that don't know, it's a simulated rescue with six. Um, six competitors in the team and back in those days you used to draw for every position so you had to be proficient at every position from resuscitation, line work, rural work or either of the two swims. It's a very technical event, isn't it? It, it, it certainly was, yeah. Yeah, very, very, um, very technical and very exact. And, and you're and, a little bit sad that it's kind of lost some of its sheen? Very much so. Very, very sad about it, but it's a fact of life. Same as a lot of things, times change. I mean, all the all the things like the um, the mechanical things, like the IRBs, the rubber duckies, and things like that. Inshore rescue boats they came on, and then of course Ironman became the most popular sport. So the the better competitors, the better swimmers were more interested in that, and that's understandable. Having been in surf lifesaving for so long, and watching. The growth of the sport and it kind of probably peaked in the sporting sense in the in the eighties. From a swimming point of view, how have you seen the change in just the skills and the ability of? Yeah, well, surf well the, the standard of swimming isn't needed anymore for for the average lifesaver who just does patrols. He doesn't need to be that skillful because they've got so many other skillful. You know, like rear line and belt was was tough to to tow out. Now hardly anyone swims in it, and, and they're never on the beach because you've got um, you've got um, rescue tubes. You've got to say inshore rescue boats, um, surfboards that are set up as rescue boards. Um, even jet skis and, uh, and things like that. So, so it's not necessary to be as strong a swimmer to actually patrol the beach anymore. 
There are some great surf swimmers still, though, aren't there? Oh, well, no, it, it's, it's, well, so it's not necessary for, to patrol the beach. It's certainly necessary um, if you want to compete at the highest level because they just get better and better. Yeah, yeah there's yeah, many names there like the Handys and the Mercers and you, know, you name them. No? I was living on O'Brien Street and out my window... For a while there, I had to stare at your face oh. on the side of a building. <laughs> You're like a little bit of a local legend. How does, how does that feel? Um, well, that, that's, that, some... that's the um, that, that's the uh, nursing home there, and um, and they actually sponsored me a bit for the for the channel swim, and um, they've actually got five branches around Sydney, and they had me doing motivational speeches against them to earn my money um, at, at each of the venues and you know they put the <laughs> they put the photo up on the side of the wall for the summer after I came back from from becoming the oldest I thought that was a bit motivational for older people and yeah so you, you must live just around the corner from me I'm in Simpson Street <laughs> so they saved you a room in there or is that part of the deal <laughs> <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be gone before I need it <laughs> so what does keep you going in your 70s what keeps you active with the surf club and, and, mm. and swimming oh it's, it's it's hard to say it's just what I'm like I just enjoy it so much I've enjoyed every moment of um, everything I've done and I enjoy mixing with younger people and yeah Trying to keep as young as it is possible at this age, but because um, it's only only a month off coming up six years since I did do that swim, and I guess um, you never say never. It's still in the back of my mind that taking it back, but I don't think it will happen. It's just become too hard to book. What what has to happen these days is you know for for someone like me, there's no way in the world that you can you can make a channel swim in a spring tide. I swam it in the spring tide the first time in my 40s, but you, you couldn't do it in your 70s. So you need, you need a booking with one of the best boats and pilots and number one choice of one of the best tides. And you got to book three or four years in advance to get that. So I'll finish with this. Mm-hmm. You're obviously an inspiration for the younger generation. What gives you more pleasure, beating them in the surf or coaching them? Oh, you know, a, a, a bit of each, a bit of each. I love it when I beat someone that's a fair bit younger than me. And um, But, you know, I like seeing them improve too. It's terrific, especially, you know, from your home club. Not, not, not that that matters. I mean, I've helped um, a lot of members... A lot of members of other clubs, like we mentioned Ned Whelan, who became the youngest swimmer to swim in the English Channel. Yeah, I mentored him, and he's actually the best swimmer in North Bondi, a neighbouring club now. He's he's come from from a fairly average 15-year-old and become one of the best around. So, yeah, that, that gives me a lot of pleasure, even though he's not in Bondi. He's still welcome to come any time if he hears this. <laughs> <laughs> Do we need him at Bondi for the... Um the inter-club swim. And he'd be handy, but we're starting to get a pretty strong team without him. The na- what's the name of that? The Stan McDonald. The Stan McDonald. Stan Mac. The Stan Mac Relay, yeah. yeah. That's it. North Bond, I've had it for a few years They've now. They've had it for a few years. We, we, I think we've still won it more. I mean, I've, I've swum in the most and um, and probably won the most too because in that in those um, you know, 60s, 70s and 80s, we were by far the strongest just it goes in cycles, which is fine.
those traditions are uh, great, aren't they? They yeah. just kind of mm. they they keep the uh, mm. the heart of what surf fighting has always been yeah. about. Yeah, and and most sports are the same. I mean, neighbouring neighbouring clubs. You take any you take anything. Uh, Liverpool and Manchester United or South Sydney and the Roosters or whatever, it's, all, it's always the same. The, the neighbouring clubs are really competitive against each other. One last piece of advice from someone who's been around the traps. If someone's wanting to get into open water swimming, especially start to take on some of those longer distance, what, what would be your advice? Well, I may start off with the, start off with the shorter ones and, uh, and I'd join one of the squads, you know, either Ocean Fit or Can 2 or King Swimmers or, you know, there's, there's many of them and, and, and just start off slowly there because um, you could go a lot worse than joining a surf life-saving club as well because um, just first up getting your bronze medallion will, will get you to get you one step along the way and then probably entering, you know, most of the swims now, most of them are around the two, two and a half K, but most of them also have a one K swim on the day for, for beginners or anyone that doesn't feel that confident. Find yourself a coach or one of those squads or, or someone to team up with and uh, just have a go and uh, I'll tell you, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll get hooked. <laughs> you'll get hooked and, I mean, that advice just sounds like, just take it one step at a time and yep. you'll eventually get there. You'll cross yep. the channel. Yeah, if you want to. <laughs> uh, thanks for your time, Cyril. It's been a, a great chat. I've really enjoyed to hear a lot about the history of, yeah. of the sport and uh, it's great just to, to know that we've got some living legends of the sport here in Bondi. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Thanks, Andrew.